the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. When you're in a crisis, nobody has to tell you to pray. You pray because the crisis drives you to your knees. When you're going through difficulties, you read your Bible. Nobody has to tell you to do that because you want to draw closer to God. When you're going through a situation that is troubling, you want to go to church. Nobody has to tell you that because you want to come into his presence. You see, a crisis ends up pushing us to God and we understand our dependence on him. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. Those of us who are lucky enough to live the good life need to be certain that we keep Christ as our priority. When everything seems to be going well, it's easy to forget the dire need which we have for Jesus. We can become so focused on the present and its goodness But we forget that a future without Christ holds nothing for us. Pastor Gary challenges us to always prioritize Christ through the thick and thin. Make Jesus a life habit for yourself. Plan to seek Him and His will equally. Do this on the good days and the bad. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 78 for part one of today's message titled, When Life is Good, Don't Forget God. Psalm 78, that's where we are today. Let me give you just a little bit of a brief background uh, before we read from it. You'll notice the subtitle at Psalm 78 says, A Maskil of Asaph. A Maskil of Asaph. If you weren't here last week, you missed the uh, mention about Asaph. So let me just give you a quick bullet points about who he is again. Uh, He was appointed by David as the chief musician in the house of the Lord. So he was kind of the worship pastor. He was also, the Bible tells us, a descendant of Levi. So he's a Levite of the priestly order. He's a musician. And he is also, the Bible tells us, a seer or a prophet. Uh, He served during the reign of King David and also down into the reign of David's son, King Solomon, at the house of the Lord. And he wrote 12 psalms. Here in the book of Psalms, he wrote Psalm 50 and then Psalm 73 through 83. It also says here in the subtitle that it is a maskil of Asaph. A maskil is a Hebrew term. Some of your Bibles say it's a musical term. It's more than that. It is a term that means it was written in order to teach others. This is an instructive psalm. 
and instructive psalms. Whenever you see maskil as the subtitle, you better sit up and take note because this is not just something in honor of God. This is something in exhortation of people. In fact, the psalm actually begins by Asaph saying he's writing it to his people. This is not a psalm to God. This is a psalm to the people of God. This is a psalm inspired by God, but it is not to God. It is to the people of God that we might be exhorted and understand the warning at hand. This is also, just by way of its length, the second longest psalm in the book of Psalms, next to Psalm 119. I will not read all of it. You're welcome. But in the course of the study, we will make our way this morning through just about every verse of it. But for the moment, I'm only going to read verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to skip ahead and read verses 32 to 39. So let's start here at the beginning. Psalm 78, verse 1, a maskil of Asaph. O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him." Jump over to verse 32. Verse 32, in spite of all this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. So we ended their days in futility and their years in terror. Whenever God slew them, they would seek him. They eagerly turned to him again. They remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. But then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time, he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. Uh, about a year ago, May of 2016, there was a national survey that was conducted among a, about a thousand different counties across the United States of America. And the survey was intended to find what is the happiest county in all of the United States of America. They published their survey a year ago. The top 10 list is given here on the screen to you. And you might notice the number one, the happiest place in the United States of America, <laughs> Loudoun County. Now, the mortgage company that conducted this national survey, <laughs> what just happened? What happened? The mortgage company that conducted this national survey, what did I miss? Tell me later. Anyway, the mortgage company that conducted this national survey, uh, they said this. This is the reason why Loudoun County got selected as number one. What makes this such a happy place? For one thing... The unemployment rate and poverty rate are both four, under 4%. In fact, Loudoun's poverty rate is the lowest of any county in our study, they said. 
And of the nearly 1,000 counties in our study, Loudoun County had the fourth highest income ratio. Loudoun's income ratio is over 2.5, which means the median income is more than twice the cost of living. So we've become now, I suppose, the happiest county in America. But wait, there's more, friends. Just a few months ago, there was another survey conducted among the Commonwealth of Virginia and found out that Loudoun County is the healthiest county in the Commonwealth of Virginia, conducted by Johnson, the Johnson Foundation and the University of Wisconsin Population Health Institute, it found that Loudoun County, the healthiest county in all of the Commonwealth. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Just a few years ago in 2013, CNN Money ranks Leesburg as number 35 among the best places to live in the entire country. So... Put it all together, friends. You thought Disney was the happiest place on earth. <laughs> no, I tell you, Loudoun County is the happiest place and the healthiest place in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and that Leesburg is one of the best places to live. I mean, talk about living the good life. Here we are. And yet, hear me on this, the good life is a threat to the godly life. The good life is a threat to the godly life. What do I mean? When you're in a crisis, nobody has to tell you to pray. You pray because the crisis drives you to your knees. When you're going through difficulties, you read your Bible. Nobody has to tell you to do that because you want to draw closer to God. When you're going through a situation that is troubling, you want to go to church. Nobody has to tell you that because you want to come into his presence. You see, a crisis ends up pushing us to God, and we understand our dependence on him. But when things are going well, and everything is A-OK, -okay, it kind of pulls us away from God, and we find our independence from him. You know, I kind of chuckle sometimes. Have you ever read the Gospels when it talks about how the disciples of Jesus went to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray? Teach us to pray. I think to myself, whenever I read that, these disciples must not have had a bad day in their lives. Who has to teach you to pray if you're going through a crisis? Nobody. But if you're having a really good life and things are just moving along swell for you, there's this tendency to forget God. In Hosea 13, verse 6, God said this about the people of Israel. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. When they became proud, they forgot me. Hosea 13, 6. When I fed them, they became satisfied. When they became satisfied, they became proud. When they became proud, they forgot me. So the question comes from Psalm 78. This is what Asaph is addressing for us. How is it possible that we might be able... To have a consistent, vibrant walk with God, even when things are going relatively well. This is what Psalm 78 is all about. Asaph here is writing an historical narrative. He is reviewing Jewish history with his fellow Jews. And he is exposing a pattern that was not only descriptive of the Jewish people historically, but can also be descriptive of modern Christianity if we are not careful. And it is this. 
In Psalm 78, Asaph talks about the cyclical relationship that the people of Israel had with God. They would be hot and then they'd be cold. They would be followers and then they would be rebellious. And this is how the cycle went. When God blessed them, they got really comfortable. When they got really comfortable, they forgot about God. When they forgot about God, they started sinning and rebelling. So then God punished them and disciplined them. And then when they were punished and disciplined, they would say they were sorry and God would forgive them. And then when God forgave them, life went well again. And when life went well again, they got comfortable. And when they got comfortable, they forgot God. And when they forgot God, they started sinning again. So then God would punish them and discipline them. You see how the cycle goes? It's a pattern in our lives too if we're not careful. Things are going well, we forget God. And we start to lapse into sin. We let our guard down. We don't have the same urgency and fervency with the Lord. And so then he disciplines us. And then we cry out to him. And then he forgives us. And then it goes well with us. And then when it goes well with us, we fall back into the same sinful pattern. So how is it that we can keep a consistent, vibrant walk with God when things are going relatively well? And since we live in a place that is relatively happy and relatively healthy and one of the best places to live in the United States of America, we have to especially be asking ourselves these questions. When life is good, how can we make sure that the good life does not threaten a godly life. Well, he describes this pattern, this cyclical relationship in verses 32 to 39. Can you look again in your Bibles with me? Verses 32 to 39. And and he says this in verse 32. In spite of all this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. So we ended their days in futility and their years in terror. Whenever God slew them, notice, they would seek him. Now, when God puts on the squeeze, then then you cry out to him, right? They eagerly turned to him again. They remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. But then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. And their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time, he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. Does this describe you at all? When things are going bad in your life, you're on your knees more. And then when things are going well, you don't pray as much. When things are going bad in your life, you go to church more and then... When things are going well, you have other things to do. When things are going bad, you read your Bibles more and you're more conscious of sin and you make promises to God. Things like, God, I promise if you get me out of this mess, I'll never do that again. And then things go well. He gets you out of that mess. And your Bible starts to accumulate dust and you forget the promises you made to God. The good life is a threat to a godly life. And we need to learn some things from the 78th chapter. Now, thankfully, God does not withhold his goodness and his blessings from us just in order to kind of keep us under his thumb and constantly keep us dependent on him. He doesn't operate like that. That would be cruel. That would be like a parent 
who, who doesn't give their, their child enough food, just enough, not enough to starve them, but just, just enough to make sure that they constantly are under the thumb of the parent begging for bread. That's not the way God treats us. He's our loving father. He loves to spoil us. He loves to be good to us. He loves to bless us. But the question becomes, within the blessings that God bestows on us, will we forget him? Don't forget him. There's a story in Israel's history. 450 years before Asaph wrote this Psalm 78, in the days of Moses, in 1450 BC, God took the Israelites out of 400 years of slavery across the Sinai Peninsula into the promised land of Israel, which he had sworn on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to their descendants. This was their land by God's sovereign choice. And what God did in preparing the land for them was he drove out the pagan people who occupied it. There were heathen pagan people who were occupying the land also known as Canaan back in the day, and God drove them out. And then God brought the people, his people in. So when God drove the people out, they abandoned houses. They abandoned wells. They abandoned vineyards and olive groves. And when God brought his own people in, he warned them in advance. He said, now listen to me. You're about to occupy a land that I've provided for you. You're about to live in houses you did not build. You're about to drink from wells you did not dig. You're about to eat from vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. When you are there enjoying my blessings, don't forget me. You know what they did? They forgot him. They were living such a good life, they forgot him. So 450 years later, now Asaph, about 1,000 B.C., is writing Psalm 78 to his generation. And he says, you know what happened? Our forefathers forgot God. They enjoyed his blessings so much. They got so comfortable. They didn't see their need for him anymore. They abandoned him. Don't let this happen to you. And Asaph even goes this far to say, if you don't get this, the very survival of the next generation hangs in the balance. If your kids don't see you honoring God when times are good as well as when times are bad, they will forget him just like you. And he warns about how this needs to be the disposition of every follower of God so that the next generation can know God too. We can't get lazy or complacent. We have to understand that the relationship with God is through thick and thin, through bad times and good times, and never forget him when he blesses us in such wonderful ways. Look again at verses 4 through 8. This is the warning that Asaph gives about the next generation. He says in verse 4, he says, We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. And then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. You see this emphasis that he places here on all of this? He says, listen, the next generation hangs in the balance. We need to hear this in our day. Your kids are watching you. God cannot just be a God who helps you in the bad times. He must be a God also that you worship in the good times. You must demonstrate to your kids that when God is good and his blessings abound, that you will not forget him, but you will press into him continually, thankfully, gratefully, worshipfully, honoring him. Because it is from him that every good and perfect gift comes. 
Asaph says, teach it to the next generation. Let your children see it. Let their children that are yet unborn know about it in due time. Because you are modeling it for them as someone who never forgets God when life is good. Now, how then are we to enjoy the good life without forgetting God? How are we to enjoy the good life and still live a godly life? Well, in this psalm, there are three times that Asaph says that the children of God put God to the test. Three times in this psalm and in three different ways, it says that the Israelites put God to the test. Verse 18, verse 41, and verse 56. So I'm a simple man with a simple understanding of things. And so here's, here's how we're going to approach Psalm 78 in the remaining time we have left. We're going to kind of look at the way that the Israelites put God to the test. And we're going to learn from that. And we're not going to do that. We're going to realize it didn't go well for them because they put God to the test. In what ways did they test God? Let's learn from that so that we can live the good life and the godly life. So let's start first place first. Verse 18, if you go back to verse 18 for a moment, and I, I got to read some verses around it so you get the context of why it was and how it was that they put God to the test. But in verse 18, I'll start at verse 17. It says, but they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. Verse 18, they willfully put God to the test. You see it? By demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the desert? When he struck the rock, water gushed out and streams flowed abundantly. But can he also give us food? Can he supply meat for his people? When the Lord heard them, he was very angry. His fire broke out against Jacob and his wrath rose against Israel. For they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. For you note takers, you can write down the first point. Here's the first lesson we can learn. Guard against discontentment. Guard against discontentment. You know the problem with the Israelites that Asaph points out here? Is that the goodness of God was just not good enough. That's what's happening here. The goodness of God was just not good enough. They were always wanting more which led them to question whether God was even capable of giving them more. And fortunately, you see, the faithfulness of God in times past did not translate in their minds as it should about the faithfulness of God for times future. Let me say it again. The faithfulness of God in times past did not translate in their minds to the faithfulness of God in times future. So they saw what God did, but it just wasn't good enough. Discontent breeds disbelief. They didn't believe God because they were discontent about what God had done. They wanted more. It wasn't enough. They understood, wow, God brought, God brought water out of a rock. They get that. They say in verse 20, when he struck the rock, water gushed out and streams flowed abundantly. But the next question they ask is, but can he also give us food? Can you supply meat? For, I mean, we got the whole water out of the rock thing. That was pretty spectacular, God. We got to hand it to you. I mean, that was pretty awesome seeing water come out of a rock. And it gave water to all of us. But what we kind of want to know is, do you have anything that we can wash down with that water? Because we're kind of hungry, too. We would like to see you do some food miracles. Could you get some food miracles going, God? Thank you for the water. But 
We kind of want to know if you could do more than that. We do similar stuff. We do. We're so glad you joined us for Pastor Gary's message today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching in the book of Psalms and that God is whispering the words of comfort and strength to your heart. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can hear all of Pastor Gary's messages through this book, as well as the entire Bible. Be sure to check out the companion resources while you're there, found under the Teachings tab. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about how God is working in your life. Feel free to join the conversation on our Facebook page or check out what's going on at Cornerstone Connection on Twitter or Instagram. We're here to chat with you in person too, so give us a call at 703-771-1500. Let us know how we can be praying for you That number again is 703-771-1500. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary will have much more to share from his verse-by-verse study through Psalms when you join us again, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.